That was awesome. Amen. So if you are part of Roots, you can be dismissed. And look, they didn't want me to forget. I don't know who did that, but brilliant. So part of Roots, now's the time to head downstairs. Uh, for those of you who don't know what Roots is, no Roots today? Don't say that. Are you really telling me there's no Roots today? There is. Don't, you guys are all confusing me. I don't know. So is there Roots today or isn't there? Is Tony go? Okay. Well, go downstairs. If there's nothing down there, come back up here. I was told they were, it was every week, Jay, so you should hurry up and prepare for the second service, because Jay's in charge of the second service. All right, we really do know what's going on around here. It just doesn't appear so at this very moment. So let me ask you a question. How many of you would describe yourself as a patient person? Now, I usually say don't raise your hands, but today I'd like you to raise your hand. How many of you would actually say, I am a patient person? Wow. That's good. How many of you sitting by that person would say they're a patient person? No, you don't, need to raise, you don't need to raise your hand for that. So the fact is waiting is often really, really hard. Waiting for something that we want is tough. And you know what makes it even worse? When you really want something, uh, waiting seems to take even longer, right? There's this like, the more I want it, the slower time seems to take for me to get it. So it's that, that principle of the a couple weeks before a great vacation seemed to take eternity, but the week of vacation seems to take like two days. There's this, there's this, this principle at work here. So we're in this uh, next week of A Church Without Curtains, so if you don't have your book, I hope that you do. Um, we're on page 71 of that. And in this week, if you haven't done your work yet, when you get ready to sit down and read, you're going to read the story of two people who have this healing encounter with Jesus. And what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the same story uh, that you're going to look at, or you have looked at, but I want to look at it from a different lens. I want to come at it from a little different way. If you've not got a book yet, I also want to encourage you that you can still do that. You can just go to the information counter and get a book, and we've tried to make sure the books are very affordable, so they're $5, but um, we also had somebody come and say, I don't want anybody to go without a book, and so they made a very generous donation so that anyone who wants a book or needs a book can get one, so don't hesitate to go back there and get a book, and if, if the $5 is good, then just pay the $5. If not, just say, can I have a book? And we won't even ask. We'll give you a book. So what I want you to do is grab your Bibles right now and turn to Luke chapter 8. We're going to read verses 40 through 56. And the truth of the matter is sometimes I get a little bit tired of hearing my own voice, so I ask my friend Marcella to come up and read today's passage for us. So as she's coming up, I want to encourage you um, to a couple things. I want to encourage you to engage your imagination. I want you to picture the scene as she reads it. I want you to, to, to picture the crowds pressing in. You can come on up. Uh, I want you to, to, to imagine the dust that's being kicked up. Imagine just how everyone was feeling as, as Jesus is moving through the town and, and people are shouting for help. And imagine the anticipation that everyone must have had waiting to see what's he going to say, what's he going to do. I want you to kind of enter the scene. So as Marcella reads for us, you can kind of picture yourself there as she reads this passage. So thank you. You're welcome. Good morning. Luke chapter 8, verses 40 through 56. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they all were expecting him. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him 
to come to his house because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him, and a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. But no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me, and I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could no longer go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. While Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader. Your daughter is dead, he said. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe and she will be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, and James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. But he took her by the hand and said, my child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Thanks, Marcella. Let's pray. Oh, you can clap if you want. Thanks, Marcella. Lord, thanks so much for your word. Thank you for the opportunity for us just to unpack this amazing story. I pray that you would guide my words. Pray that you would settle my spirit, that you would allow me to... Um, Speak what you want me to speak. Lord, I pray that you would uh, give us ears to hear truth. I pray that we would leave uh, this service different than we came. I'm so grateful for Becky, for Marcella, for John, for the band. It's just been such a great service uh, so far. And for all the people who have been involved, I just pray that you would bless them and bless us as we continue on to unpack your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is the only time in Luke where Luke takes two individual healing stories and he sort of weaves them together as one story. And, and what we start out with, we just want to kind of look at the two individuals. So first we have this woman, right? And, and the woman has this bleeding problem. And if you didn't pick up on it, the bleeding problem is, is a woman issue. And uh, the, the bleeding problem is more than just a physical problem. It's, it's a spiritual problem for her as well. Because of the Old Testament law, the fact that she has a bleeding problem makes her unclean. It, doesn't, it means that she can't go into the synagogue. She can't worship with the people. It actually means that she's an untouchable. That she is kind of labeled and, and that she goes through life having this, this label over her of being unclean. As a matter of fact, just the fact that she was pressing into the crowds and trying to get to Jesus was a violation of that very situation. She was considered by everyone to be unclean. As a matter of fact, she wouldn't even be allowed to have intimacy with her husband. She was considered damaged goods. 
And then there's this other individual named Jairus. And, and this is the second week in a row. I find it fascinating that where we end up talking about a religious leader. Remember the religious order, the ones that brought all the persecution down on Jesus. They're the ones that, that convinced the Romans to arrest Jesus. They're the ones that convinced the Romans to crucify Jesus. But last week we looked at Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee. And this week we see Jairus, who was, uh, he was a leader within the synagogue. What that means is he was in charge of getting things together. He was in charge of, of putting things out and making sure the priests had everything they want. He was a leader, but his leadership responsibility was to pull everything together and make sure that the, the service could go off without a hitch. So Jairus was was a, a, a religious leader, but he was more than a religious leader. He was a dad. He was a dad and he had a daughter. And he's had this daughter for 12 years. I think it's fascinating that the daughter is 12 and that Jairus has had 12 years of, of living with his daughter and enjoying his daughter and being a daddy to his daughter. And this woman has had 12 years of suffering. And the fact of the matter in this story is what we see is that, that both of them are, have this incredibly desperate need. Their needs are very, very different, but they're both very desperate for God to show up in a powerful way. And when we read stories in Scripture, one of the things that we can do to, to bring the Scriptures alive is, is we can ask ourselves, how, do we, how can we relate to the person we're reading about? And so this is a good place for us to stop and ask the question, what's the desperate need that you have? What's that desperate, heart-pounding need that you really need God to show up? You have a desperate need for God to do something in your life. There is this common question that Jesus asks in the Scriptures when he, when he comes across people. He says, what do you want me to do for you? If Jesus were to walk in the room, if he were to stand face-to-face -face with you, if he were to walk right up to your seat and put his hands on your shoulders and look you in the eye and say, what do you want me to do for you? How would you answer the question? What do you want me to do for you? What is that desperate need that you have? So we have these two individuals. And the thing that's fascinating about this, these two individuals is they both have to wait for God. They both have to rely on, on God's timing. And when you think about the two stories, they're, they're very different. The way that each person had to wait is very, very different, but, but no less difficult for either one of them. Both of them have to wade into that, that uncomfortable, difficult process of waiting for God. But what I want you to hear today is that God is in the waiting God is in the waiting. God is not careless. He's not disengaged. He hasn't forgotten them. He hasn't forgotten you. He's not ignorant or ignoring them. God is actually in the waiting process. There is a purpose to God having us wait. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what it looks like to wait on God. We're going to talk about the, the, what God is doing in the midst of our waiting. I, I didn't know it until after I'd written most of this, this sermon, but next week is Kid Stuff. So if you are coming to Kid Stuff, um, it, it happens between the first and second service. So, so come, but the, we, every week we have a virtue. And, or every month we have a virtue, and we're teaching your kid a virtue, and, and so the reason we do kid stuff is so that you can come with your kids and see what we're teaching that month. But, but to my surprise, or to God's sovereignty, the, the, the virtue this week is, 
or this month coming up is patience. And the verse that they're going to use is Psalm 27:14. It says, "Wait patiently for the Lord, be strong, take heart, and wait for the Lord." And if waiting were easy, we wouldn't need a passage like this. Wait patiently for the Lord. We wouldn't be encouraged to be strong and take heart because if waiting was easy, we wouldn't need to be strong and take heart. So I think it's fascinating how God, in his sovereignty, pulled things together. So one of the verses that we use to shape the naming of Eagle Sports Club is Isaiah 40, 31. And it says, it says, those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar on wings like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. That's the NIV translation uh, that we use most around here. But if you read it in the New King, King James Version, it says, but those who wait on the Lord. I remember the first time I ever saw this, this, the difference between the two translations. One says those who hope in the Lord, and one says those who wait on the Lord. And if you think about those two phrases, they seem different at first, but the more you reflect on those two, the more you realize they're actually saying the very same thing. Because in order to wait on the Lord, you have to have hope in the Lord. In order to hope in the Lord, you have to wait on the Lord. The, the two are very much interchangeable. But there's a picture here of, of something that we have to engage, something that we have to do, that waiting isn't passive, that there's something that we, that we have to bring to the table in seasons of waiting if we are going to have hope, if we are going to be able to run and not grow weary. So let's go back to our story from Luke. This woman who has the bleeding problem, she's waited 12 years. She's waited for 12 years. And there's no doubt, and if you look at the story, there's no doubt she's asked for help. As a matter of fact, it says, and no one could heal her, which means that she's asked for healing in the past. It means that she's been prayed for. She has sought out God. She said, God, what do, what do I do? Could you please heal me from this, this problem that I have? And as I think about her, I wonder if in those 12 years she ever lost hope. But this day she hears that Jesus is coming. Jesus is going to be passing by. She, she hears that, that this, this Jesus fella is actually coming to town. And what she does is she allows herself to hope. Now, I don't know if she lost hope, but I know this day she has hope. She actually believes that Jesus is the answer to that problem that she's facing. And here's the deal. It, it's a risk to hope. It's risky for us to hope because even in her case, what if it doesn't work? What if she touches his, the hem of his cloak? What if she violates the fact that she's not even supposed to be in the crowd and, and nothing happens? What if she hopes again and she ends up being disappointed again? But she chooses, get this, she chooses to put her hope in Jesus. She makes a choice to put her faith in Jesus and take a risk and reach out to Jesus, the only one that can be the solution to the problem that she's facing. And here's what I just want to say. Some of us have stopped hoping. Some of us have stopped hoping because in the midst of your past hoping, you've been met with incredible disappointment. And so you've said it's just easier not to hope. So you no longer hope for a husband or a wife. You no longer hope that you could have a child. You no longer hope that God will bring healing, physical healing into your body. You no longer hope for reconciliation in a place within your, in your family or a dear friend that you've been separated from. You've given up hope because in the hope comes great disappointment. But the woman chooses to hope. She could have said, 
What difference does it make? I've lived with it this long. I haven't gotten better yet. And the truth is, after 12 years, it would be hard for us to blame her, wouldn't it? But think about this. Think about what she would have missed out on. Think about what she would have missed if she had refused to put her hope in Jesus. So let's talk for a minute about Jairus. He comes to Jesus, and he's pretty desperate as well. His 12-year-old daughter is dying, and he may be a guy who works in the synagogue, but he's a dad, and he is desperate. His daughter is dying. There is only one hope for his daughter, and it's Jesus. And if you think about the story, if you, if you let yourself get into Jairus' head and read the story, imagine how frustrated Jairus must have been. Imagine how frustrated he was with the crowds that were slowing Jesus down. Imagine how frustrated he was when people were pressing against Jesus and he couldn't make his way to his home fast enough. And then Jesus decides to have this ridiculous conversation of who touched me. Jairus must have been like, what are you talking about? Everyone's touching you. Would you please just get to my house? My baby girl, she's dying. And then he goes into this conversation with a woman. And if I were Jairus, and I know this isn't much compassion, I would have been saying, who cares? Who cares about her petty problem? My baby girl is dying. Would you stop talking and get to my house? And in the midst of all that frustration that Jairus must have been feeling, the servant comes along and says, it's too late, she's dead. Don't bother the rabbi anymore. There's nothing he can do. Man, if I were Jairus, I would have been furious. I would have been so mad. I would have been mad at the crowds. I would have been mad at the lady who had the problem. I would have been mad at Jesus. I would have just been beside myself in hysterics. My baby girl has died. But look at the passage in verse 50. Jesus, in hearing this, that your daughter is dead, Jesus says, don't be afraid, just believe, and she will be healed. Those are the words for us to hold on to today. Don't be afraid, just believe. There is an action that Jairus is, is compelled to do. He is told to believe. He isn't told that he has to have something. He said, just believe. Don't be afraid. Just believe, and she will be healed. So Jairus decides to have faith, like the woman decided to hope and have faith. Jairus decides to, to have faith, to hope in the Lord, to wait on the Lord. And in this case, he hopes against all odds that this Jesus can do something this carpenter-turned-teacher-turned-miracle worker could actually raise his daughter from the dead. And the reality of life is that whether you wait 12 years or you wait 12 minutes, sometimes waiting can wear you down. If you are not intentional in seasons of waiting, if you do not apply certain processes and, and think about waiting the same way, waiting can break your spirit. What we have to remember is that God is in the waiting. God is actually doing something in the midst of the waiting. Again, he's not ignoring you. God is in the waiting. God had something amazing for this woman. God had something pretty spectacular for Jairus and his daughter that's way beyond our ability to understand, especially in the moment of having to wait. 
There's so much for us to learn about hope and faith and, and waiting on God. It's where we practice the words of Jesus to Jairus saying, don't be afraid, just believe. Don't be afraid, just believe. God does his best work in the waiting period. But the deal is, God does not seem to have the same sense of urgency or impatience that we seem to have. God's timing is never early. It's never late. It's always God's timing. And we need to learn to trust in the sovereignty of God and trust in the timing of God. We've got to submit to the good work that God does in the midst of waiting. Waiting is the place where we start to see the curtains in our lives. Waiting is one of the places where our character is actually tested. Waiting is the place that God shows us our greatest fears. Waiting is one of the primary places God does deep soul work. It's the fertile ground for seeing who we really are. Because after all, think about this. How hard is it to be a godly person when you get everything you want when you want it? It's easy to respond the way you think you should respond when you're getting everything your own way. So God takes us through waiting because that's where our character is shaped. Think about it. Why did God want Abraham to wait for an heir? Because he was shaping his character. He was preparing him to be the father of all nations. Why would he make Joseph sit in a prison? Why would he make Joseph wait to be a leader within when Egypt, because he was shaping his character. He was making him the man he needed to be. He was teaching him what he needed to learn so that he could be the one that would step into leadership and literally preserve the people of God. God was in the waiting. He was doing something in the midst of waiting. So if you've been keeping up with the curtain study, one of the things you've probably seen is one of the key people we keep talking about in the study is David, King David. David wasn't always king, he wasn't born king, but there was a moment in his life where Samuel showed up and anointed him king, but the problem was there was already a king, and the king's name was Saul, so now David has been anointed Paul's successor. But then there's this waiting. David knows what's going to happen, but he has to wait. And in the midst of his waiting, Saul becomes jealous for a variety of reasons, not even because David's been anointed king, but other reasons. Saul becomes jealous, and so he, he decides he's going to kill David. And so David becomes a fugitive. He goes on the run from Saul. And for 10 years, get it, 10 years, David is on the run from Saul. He's living in caves, and he's writing some of the best psalms that are, that are in the, the books. He, he's writing, and he's spending time with God. But, but here's David, who, who knows that he's going to be king, he knows what God's going to do, but God says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to do that, but, but I want you to wait. Imagine how hard it must have been for David. And if you go back and you, and you read the story of David when he's on the run, what you'll see is that, that Saul is actually delivered into David's hands. On two separate occasions, David could have easily, without a fight, killed Saul. But you know what David says? Oh, no. Not my timing, but God's timing. I am not going to take matters into my own hands. I'm going to trust in the sovereignty of God. God will bring this when God is ready to bring this. But what God was doing was shaping the character of a man to prepare him to be the king. So David knew a few things about waiting. David was a man who had learned what it means to wait. And when David become an, becomes an old man, gray hair, a little bit hunched over, sitting at his roll-top desk, 
he writes Psalm 37. And I have this picture of David writing Psalm 37 and thinking, what do people need to know about God in seasons of waiting? It's as if he wrote this song for you and I and said, this is what I have learned about waiting on God. So turn to Psalm 37, because I think you'll want to take a few notes as we read through Psalm 37. And we're going to read the first nine verses and then unpack it a little bit. Psalm 37, 1 through 9. David says, Do not fret because of those who are evil, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desire of your heart. Commit your ways to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret. There's a third time we've seen that phrase, do not fret. When people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes, refrain from anger, turn from wrath. Do not fret. It leads only to evil. For those who are evil will be destroyed, but those who hope in the Lord will inherit the land. So, on another day at another time, I want to unpack this entire psalm because there is so much in here. And what we have in here that I want to look at today is five precepts. You know what a precept is? I actually brought the definition of a precept. A precept is a rule to regulate behavior or thought. A rule that you put into your life, a way of responding to things. This is a rule of life that exists within you that actually regulates how you behave and how you think. Isn't that fascinating? You can actually put a rule in place that helps regulate how you respond to life, how you respond to waiting. So we have five precepts, and the first one is found in verse 1. It says, do not fret. Do not worry. Do not get heartburn. Don't fume. Don't stew. Don't let your mind get centered on the wrong things. It's almost the same words that Jesus said to Jairus when he said, don't be afraid. No, don't fret. Don't let your mind be consumed with this. And what I love about this is David is saying, you know, here's what's going to trip you up. When you get your mind on other people, when you are going through a difficult circumstance and you begin to look at other people, you say, that person has all the health and they don't even love Jesus. That person has lots of stuff and their life doesn't even honor God. That's when we get in trouble. And so David's saying, look, don't worry about other people. God's got it. And, and other people that aren't walking with, with God, God's going to take care of that. As a matter of fact, he says that he, they're going to wither like the grass in the field. That's up to God. Stop thinking about others. So stop doing the comparison thing. Don't worry. Don't fret. So that's the first precept. If you look at verse 3, the second precept is trust in the Lord. Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. Choose to believe in God. Faith or belief is the cure to fretting. That's what helps us not to worry. That's what we do with our fears. We take them back to God and we stop being afraid and fretting and we, we choose to exercise faith. God's got this. God knows what he's doing. God is in this. We have to make a conscious decision to put our faith in God and not take matters into our own hands. So don't fret, trust in the Lord. And then in verse 4, it says, take delight in the Lord. And this is, I love this one. This is, this is about what do you focus on? 
Are you consumed with thinking about the thing that you're waiting for? Or are you consumed with thinking about God? Because in seasons of waiting, it's easy to think about, what if I don't get it? What if I get it? When am I going to get it? How, I, how can I get that? When is it going to happen? What if it doesn't happen? And all of a sudden, you're not thinking about God at all. And all he's saying is, take delight in the Lord. Put your mind on the things of God. Think about God. Enjoy the presence of God. Invite God into the process. But put your mind on God, not on the thing that you're waiting for. Don't fret. Trust in the Lord. Take delight in the Lord. And the fourth precept we see in uh, verse 5 says, commit your ways to the Lord. This is simply a, a, a picture of putting a stake in the ground and saying, in this season of waiting, I'm going to follow Jesus. Even though I don't know what God is doing, even though I am not comfortable in this waiting period, I'm going to continue to honor God with my life. I'm going to continue to do the very things that I know God wants me to do, even though I'm not necessarily glad that I'm in the waiting period. I'm going to continue. It actually says continue to do good, but it's saying continue to, to serve God with your life. Continue to, to be faithful. You want to live your life in such a way that your Abba Father says, well done, even in the midst of waiting. And then the fifth and the last precept is found in verse 7. It says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. So the fifth precept, and this is hard to say, there's too many words in this, and the fifth precept unlocks the other four precepts. You get that? So, so you need to do all five of these things. These are the rules of life that regulate the way you think and respond in seasons of behaving. But you cannot do one, two, three, four unless you do number five. Five is the key that unlocks everything else. And it says, be still. I love this. One of the things I read says, it says that we are to hush your inner life. Don't let the distractions and the busyness and the mind going all over the place to choke out God's spirit. Hush your inner life. Do you know how hard this is? I think this is the hardest of the five precepts. To actually quiet our spirit and allow, and allow the spirit of God to do this, this good work inside of us. When we hush our spirit, then the spirit of God can say, I got this, it's okay. When we quiet our spirit, we hear the Spirit of God saying, look, my desire is to bless you. Do you. Just trust me. When we hush our spirit, we hear the same voice that Jairus heard saying, don't be afraid. Just believe. But we got to be quiet enough to hear the Spirit of God. And what I want you to know is this is not a, a just do it sort of sermon. This is an, a work of God. This is a Spirit-initiated thing. You cannot do these precepts without the Spirit of God being at work within you. So you got to start with quieting yourself and letting the Spirit do what the Spirit needs to do in a season of waiting. One of my favorite guys to read is Charles Spurgeon. And this is a quote from him. It says, A silent tongue not only shows a wise head, but a holy heart. When we quiet down and sit still with Jesus, it gives the Spirit room to reveal truth to us. This is where God does the good soul work in our lives. It's only when we're still that we can really take delight in the Lord. It's only when we're still that we understand where our strength really comes from. The fact of the matter is, God will, and God does take us through seasons of waiting. And sometimes the waiting can be incredibly intense. 
But we need to remember that God is in the waiting. That God is up to something in the waiting. This has been a waiting season for us as a church. We have been in a season of the land between, of waiting to know what's going to be next. And do you know what? God has been in the waiting. God has been saying to us over and over, do you trust me? Do you really trust me? Do you trust that I'm doing something in your midst? Do you trust that I'm at work? Can you just trust me and not be afraid? Can you, can you put aside your fear and just believe that the Spirit of God is at work? God has been saying to me, do you trust me? And he's been saying to me, just be quiet. Settle your spirit and lean into me. And here's the deal. Do you think the woman would trade anything? She waited 12 years. She was miserable for 12 years. Do you think she would take back a single day? Or do you think the fact that she got to press into Jesus, she got to touch his cloak, she got to feel the healing power go out from Jesus, she received a healing, and then in the midst of a crowd, she was, she was the one that he made eye-to-eye contact with and had a conversation with. And 2,000 years later, we're still talking about her. Do you think she would trade a minute of waiting? No way. And what about Jairus? Do you think he would change the story? Jesus came to his house. Jesus raised his daughter from the dead. How do you think that changes the trajectory of their lives? How do you think their view of faith was from that point forward? It wouldn't change a thing. Because God's timing is always perfect. And we can see that when we look back. But if we can see it looking back, then can we trust it in the moment? God is in the waiting. And God is saying to us, don't be afraid. Just believe. I love the fact that today is communion. And uh, those of you who have been here very long, you know that this is one of my favorite sacraments. And when you think about communion, Jesus was taking a known tradition in the Passover, and he was giving new meaning to it, added meaning to it. 1,400 years, people have been waiting for this moment in the upper room. 1,400 years. That's a long time to wait. But God's timing is God's timing, and we got to learn to trust in God's timing. So we're going to pass out the elements, and the scriptures tell us that when you come to the table, that you are to examine yourself. That all you need to do is say, God, what do you want to show me? What do you want to tell me? What do you want me to hear before you take those elements? So the ushers are going to come, and you can come on down. Those of you are going to serve, and we're going to sing a song, and we're going to pass out the elements. And if you've said yes to Jesus in your life, then this is for you. Whether you're a member here or not a member here, if Jesus is your Lord and Savior, then we want you to participate. If you haven't got to that point yet, we would love for you to do that, and we can tell you how that happens. You just come down and talk to us, but if if you haven't, just let the plate pass you by. But do a little self-examination. Lord, what do you want me to see? What do you want me to hear from your Spirit? And then hold the elements, and I'll come back up, and we'll take them together in just a moment.